0: okay hello friends welcome to another episode of hybrid unlimited today on this podcast we have stan efforting we have simon chang ian daniel alex usler hello hayden Bo and myself hope you guys enjoy
1: all right how'd you get the rhino nickname we have two rhinos. <laughs> We're rolling right into yeah. this thing, right huh? Right into the most important. Part right of the into of this. The day. This is the most yeah. important thing because this guy. I'm pretty sure you get it all the time. Who's the the one true? Who's the real
0: rhino? Oh man! What, well, hold on. What year
2: was your rhino established? It was 2008. Flex Wheeler was training me, and he called me the White Rhino. I think that was because he couldn't remember my name. Mm. You're the real <laughs> fucking rhino. That's it. It's I, it, it. Here's my thing. I
3: think the rhino title is like an accolade. And you can't call yourself it, right? I think it has to be bestowed upon you by someone of greater power.
1: I see. And yours was Rich Froning? Yes. I mean, those are Flex Wheeler and Rich Froning. Those, those are high be... up there.
0: Who's the yeah. higher up, though? Between them two. <laughs> Flex Wheeler. I
3: don't Wheeler. know. Like, who, yeah, who values yeah. CrossFit more? Who values bodybuilding more?
1: Uh, I think Bodybuilding's more popular overall. Yeah,
3: yeah Definitely.
2: I'm Wait. trying to get away from it. Nobody takes a guy seriously that calls himself Ryan. <laughs> <So, laughs> really,
0: I think it's the opposite.
3: Yeah. <laughs> don't even don't even include it in the social media handle. Right. Don't. <laughs> right. I'm just Dad these days.
1: <laughs> yeah. So t- tell us a little bit about what you've got going on because I know you do a ton of different things. You have the <clears> the cooler. You're the creator of the cooler. Founder of the Vertical Diet. We have these are two of our nutrition coaches. Uh, so we we brought them on to, you know, talk a little bit of shop. Yeah, we've been that?
2: really busy uh, with the vertical diet, obviously, it, it went viral when, worldwide now. We probably have over 100,000 unique visitors to the site. That's uh, uh, not just everywhere I go, I hear people are are using it. Uh, you know, the fact that I put a name on it, it, kind of irks some people. The named diets, you know, tend to, to draw sure. some, uh, some concern about fads and what have you. But, uh, you know, I've worked hard. It's something that I've used probably for well over 10 years with my clients and then when i did that uh, seminar in iceland with hofthor that we, it became so popular we think we've got over four million views now i just had people reaching out to me from all over the world and so we w- wanted to put a product out that people could actually have all the information in one place and what i've been doing you know ever since i started training was just accumulating information that i thought was beneficial for me and then eventually for my clients because mm-hmm. Studied exercise science in college, and I trained. I uh, was a high school soccer coach, and I trained football players for many years. And I've been training athletes all my life. And uh, I want each athlete to have access to all of the information, <clears throat> rather than you know starting out with a blank script every time. Uh, uh, obviously, they're all unique in their own way. But you know what I found, just like when you're running a business, which I've, I've done, had many businesses over the years that I've run. I always have an operations manual. And so every new employee that comes in that goes through training, they get the operations manual. And then we build on that over time as, as processes improve. And I kind of did the same thing with, with the nutrition program that I've been using with my clients for many years is I, I made sure they had everything they needed, or I thought they needed to be successful. And it wasn't just the diet. It was the sleep. It was the hydration. It was the recovery. And obviously the nutrition is a key component to that well to as well to that, along with whatever training mechanism they're using, whether it's hypertrophy or strength training or cardiovascular work. And I wanted them to know what my philosophies were, things that I felt worked best uh, for me and for the clients that I trained. And so I I put it all together and I put a name on it and I, I set it out there for people to have access to so that they could see, you know, what have I learned both academically and practically from my experience uh, and with, you know, feedback from my clients, because I think that that you always learn something from your clients it's, it's always a kind of a collaboration. And so I, Every time somebody asked me a question, and if I didn't have an answer, I would, I would, uh, you know, try and make sure I put that into my operations manual, my vertical diet and peak performance ebook, and so that's really what it is. It's uh, it uh, has really afforded me an opportunity to give about ninety nine percent of everything I've learned over the years to someone in a real quick, easy to digest um, kind of a, a program they can implement. So they don't have to ask me a thousand questions right off the bat. They can just get going. And that's kind of <clears throat> what's been my big project. And now we've uh, we've rolled that out into uh, in addition to the ebook, we're doing seminars, obviously, and we're certifying coaches because I think one of the, <clears throat> the big shortcomings right now is is bridging the gap between uh, people who have, have academically learned so much and, and practically uh, experienced, learned so much. And the vast majority of clients out there uh, don't don't really have the time uh, or maybe even the interest in learning all the things we've learned. Mm-hmm. And now we have access to so many great resources like Steffi and like, uh, you know, Greg Knuckles group out there and Brad Schoenfeld and Brett Contreras and Alan Aragon, Oregon. And uh, I mean, the list goes on and on of the academics that are also lifting the uh, Lane Norton's of the world. Uh, you know, people who have, who are, uh, academically, so smart, but also lift, and these are things that we didn't have when when we were starting out. You know Thirty some years ago, the internet didn't even exist, and now you've got 18 year old kids who have accumulated in just a couple of years time as much knowledge as it took us decades to accumulate, and they're applying it, and they're so much more successful at such <clears throat> an earlier age. I always said, if I knew then what I know now. I would have been much more successful much earlier in my career and probably suffered many fewer setbacks along the way. So that's that's kind of what I'm doing most is I'm just trying to get the information out there. My goal is to educate coaches so they can implement better programs with their clients because I think that's the 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 gap that needs bridged now is is between all the information that we're aware of uh, and getting it to uh, people who who don't have the kind of opportunity we have to to invest our entire life into accumulating this knowledge and applying it
1: that's uh, such an important point you actually we just spoke to the dpt class at uh, ohio state yesterday yeah and one of the things you said was i, I love it because they're all such like research paper nerds and you're like nobody cares about your research paper like whatever you do like you're just doing it for other nerds if you if you like go to if you nerd out on it totally so it's the bridging the gap part that's super important. You need to be able to, to take this information that's complex, that's taken you your whole life to accumulate and put it into it. something that people can actually use. They can
2: actually apply it and get results.
0: Simplify it and make it a, a step-by-step something that people can just understand what the progression is and the, the necessary steps to reach their goals, essentially. Yeah. What is, um, what's the premise behind the vertical diet?
2: You know a lot of things. Uh, what I've seen in the industry, what I saw even thirty years ago, that people, uh, women. I was been I've been training women and men for competition since the late '80s, and I saw the same thing. I saw the over restrictive dieting, people suffering from a host of different uh, deficiencies such as anemia, amenorrhea. You know the female triad. Um, I saw men losing extraordinary amount of muscle tissue and strength in these over restrictive dieting, so on on that end of the spectrum in the professional dieting industry, bodybuilding, figure, physique, and bikini, I saw that people weren't fueling themselves appropriately and uh, they would end up, I think, losing too much muscle uh, and then rebounding from that with a lot of edema, fat gain, uh, you know, and all of the depression and that goes along with that, particularly for women. And unfortunately over the last, you know, seven or eight years since this industry's exploded, I've, I've seen the same problems. I've seen these guru diets with egg whites, white fish and broccoli, and two hours of cardio a day. And the damage that it's doing to women in particular, guys eat more food, uh, tend not to have as many of these deficiencies. They have problems on the other end, which I'll talk about next. But that's always been a concern to me. I see them suffering through uh, unnecessarily so, these pre-contest diets, over restriction. Uh, we see it in athletes now, too. We just saw the, the report in Oregon, the, the runner, the distance runner that had starved herself down and ended up with uh, osteoporosis uh, and, uh, you know, had chin splints and a host of other, obviously, anemia and amenorrhea and the, and the rest. Um, we see them suffering unnecessarily from over-restricted diets because they exclude things from the diet that I think are really important. They exclude uh, red meat. There's your iron and B12 and then they end up in the, in the doctor's office getting a shot for iron and B12. It, it, it just boggles my mind. They exclude the egg yolk. There's your biotin and choline. Now they start losing their hair uh, and, with, um, and without the choline, now you've got issues with liver, fatty liver disease, et cetera. So I, just, I see these things happening and I thought that with all the great information we have now, uh, the great nutritionists that are out there, that, that things would improve, but they've gotten worse. And I see more and more of these young women in particular suffering from hair loss and anemia and amenorrhea and the host and having these horrible rebounds. You watch them go through these cycles yeah. of dieting down. And if that were isolated to the bodybuilding community, then you might not think it's such a big deal because it's such a small percentage of the people. Unfortunately, what's happened is, is that the general population sees these women get on stage in a bikini in the best shape of their life, and I'm using air quotes now to say that, Uh, Because it's, uh, you know, outside physically, um, but physiologically inside, uh, they're a mess. And then these diets have started to permeate the mainstream. And now you've got people shunning red meat, dairy, fruit, salt, all the things that that help them to be vibrant and give them energy and help retain lean muscle tissue and provide them the micronutrients that they need to be healthy. And so now you've got this yo-yo dieting going on in, in a much greater percentage of the population. What they're not aware of is the dirty underside of this whole thing, which, of course, I'm familiar with and being a pro bodybuilder and powerlifter all these years, is that the women that are dieting in, in the bodybuilding figure physique bikini industry, to compensate for these deficiencies in order to not lose as much muscle, etc., or not uh, have their, uh, or to still be able to lose weight, will use performance enhancing drugs. They'll use Anavar. Well, the general population isn't doing that, so they're losing enormous amount of muscle. And we know from research that when you rebound, from, the more muscle you lose when you diet, the more likely it is you'll gain more fat when you stop and your metabolism will be less than, than what it was before and may not recover for many months, if not years. Uh, they'll use uh, thyroid medication, these, these professional dieters in bikini and figure physique industry. And that might not be the case in the general population. So now their, their metabolism is...
3: Is uh, <laughs> staying all day when it should be tanking.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and they'll, they'll end up, you know, with, with uh, their hair falling out, and they'll end up, obviously, on these over diets that they can't lose weight anymore because their metabolism slowed. Uh, so those kinds of things concern me more, that, <clears throat> that the competitive industry is getting away with, with using these over restrictive diets for a short period of time. We don't see the rebound. We only see them on stage. Sure. I'd like to show them a week or two after so the general population could see, okay, this is what happens when you do that.
1: I'm sure anyone of us who's been in the gym long enough, you see those guys or girls that finish the shows, look phenomenal on stage. And like two weeks later, you're like, that's a different person. It's tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
2: It's really tragic. So I don't mean to be too long winded about it, but it's personal to me because I've lived it, you know, myself and with my athletes and, and friends and, uh, you know, clients all these years. <laughs> that it's really important that uh, that we step back and we make sure that, that we aren't so restrictive with these people and that we understand what it's doing to them, to their body. The, so basically what I'm saying is, is that with the vertical diet, I just wanted to, to make sure and keep important micronutrient dense foods in the diet uh, such as red meat, such as dairy, which I think is really important, not just for calcium, but for um, uh, you know, obviously for bone mineral density, but also for muscle contraction and nerves signaling. So, Uh, All those things are important. Fruit, I think it's hugely important for the diet. Uh, So uh, it's pretty diverse in that regard. And that's helped my athletes. I've worked with um, uh, a lot of athletes up to the Olympia level in in women's competition. And uh, there's a young lady downstairs who we just prepped for the Arnold this this weekend. And some of the things that my athletes say consistently is I was so much stronger. I had so much more energy. Um, You know, they retained more muscle tissue. And that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't be exhausted and and depleted. And I know people think that that you should, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is that that if you do it right and you're feeding yourself well, you should maintain a significant amount of strength because if you're losing strength, you're losing muscle. And that's not the goal here.
1: I feel like uh, that restrictive approach is so glorified in uh, in bodybuilding, you know, it's like uh, people just want to almost want to be able to say they're suffering for Mm. end result. And for that, for some reason that makes it like,
2: We wear it as a badge of honor that we suffered the most. And then we think that translates into improved performance. Mm -hmm. And that's simply not the case. Mm -hmm. So I look at these people as athletes, not dieters. I want them to be able to perform well in the gym and to hold on to muscle tissue. And we can get them lean. Like with Nadia Wyatt in in the Olympia, we just took her from a New York steak to a top sirloin steak down to a, uh, a top round or a sirloin tip and in doing so we eliminated some fat and some calories along the way but we maintained all of the iron and b12 and selenium and we kept whole eggs in the diet so she she never had a problem with the hair loss or things like that her skin stayed it's such a uh, um, nice
0: you bring you bring up such an interesting perspective to dieting because you're obviously not neglecting the importance of uh calorie exclusion but you're emphasizing the inclusion of nutrient-dense foods, which is something that is so heavily neglected in today's um, dieting principles by society. Because, and especially with as well uh, the explosion of IFYM, mm-hmm. flexible dieting, yeah. okay. you know, it became about mm-hmm. restricting your calories while eating what you want mm-hmm. to the point where people are severely neglecting eating nutrient dense foods.
2: Yeah, and my concern with that is and I, I'm not here to crap on anybody's diet. That's not my goal. My concern is is there's some priorities that that should, you know, there's some considerations that need to be had. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, if you're going to do IIFYM and you're on a relatively restricted diet, 1600, 1500, 1400 calories, doesn't leave a lot of room for you uh, not to be choosing nutrient dense foods. Mm-hmm. And the more calories that you just eat kind of what you enjoy, the, the empty calories, usually the higher, uh, more palatable foods, then there's the few fewer foods that you can put in that are going to get you. I mean, how are you going to get your forty seven hundred milligrams of potassium? Mm-hmm. How are you going to get a, a adequate you know, iodine in your diet? That's not going to come from uh, just you know, randomly picking foods that you enjoy, but watching macros. Mm -hmm. It's hard to just watch macros on a 1500 calorie diet Mm -hmm. and not become nutrient deficient Mm -hmm. or micronutrient deficient. I had
0: a, I had a time period. I don't know why, but I was trying to lose weight fast and I dropped my fats to like 30 grams a day. Yeah. And it came to a point where I was literally, I was not eating anything real at that point. Right. Right. All my cheese fat-free was cheese. fat-free cheese, fat-free Greek yogurt.
1: All the Yeah, all the dairy, fat-free everything. White
0: fish, chicken breast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing with fat, nothing with nothing.
1: The, the Trader Joe desserts that are like, for some reason, made for people who do flexible dieting. Yeah.
2: And <laughs> I think any extreme. I think if you get up north of 70% fat, say, in a keto diet that's not protein focused or down below 10% carbs or 10% fats, I, I think there, there's going to be some problems. Carbs not necessarily so because they're not essential in the way that fat is, uh, but it will absolutely affect performance. And if Mm you're uh, again, now I'm talking to one percent of the population that's actually, you know, an athlete that's training uh, and and muscle becomes kind of a priority uh, and the training session itself becomes a priority. Mm And I fuel training sessions intentionally to make them optimal, because if you don't have the right stimulus, you're going to lose muscle tissue. And that's why I'm a big proponent of keeping carbs in for athletes. Now, if I've got a, a diabetic individual who's got a problem controlling their appetite, then I'm restricting carbohydrates because they tend to want to eat more. Just mm-hmm. add libitum, not because I think they're bad for them, as we just discussed with IAFYM, uh, but because controlling appetite and, and improving compliance with the diet is, is the, the priority.
0: Absolutely. So I never
2: take <laughs> fats below, say, 0. 0.3 grams per pound. That's probably a minimal just because I think it's important for health. And I'm a huge proponent of of proteins. I'll drive proteins usually at a gram per pound of body weight, which I think is is largely being accepted now as <coughs> as uh, as necessary, and not even just for athletes, but for you know the average population. It's it's really important, and it helps with satiety and and the thermic effect of foods. You know, really helps with dieting. So I'm 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 heavy on protein, uh, but at the same time, I want to make sure that those proteins have a, more nutrients i'm not just trying to do a protein powder or a a tilapia because i think that you're missing out on again on all those important nutrients and if Mm -hmm. i've got particularly women if i've got women that start suffering from anemia uh and their and their uh, menstrual period starts to shut down you know amenorrhea that's a problem now i've got health issues i'm creating to so somebody can get a plastic trophy and that's, (laughs) that's not anything that i'm i'm trying to promote so you're right. It's micronutrient dense. The second filter I pour this diet through is um, uh, is uh, digestibility. Uh, obviously, highly bioavailable foods. I like to make sure they're absorbable, but digestibility. And so I, I've i just found that with myself and a lot of my clients that they tend to have some sort of digestive distress over the years and uh, all these different diets that they've been trying. And so I lead with a, a low FODMAP diet. And um, I, there's great evidence, great science to show that 60 to 80% of the people that go on a low FODMAP, low follible, uh, fermentable dye, monosaccharides, and polyol diet to, uh, cause, uh, can improve uh, symptoms of IBS and IBD uh, and just uh, decrease bloating and gas. Um, it's not that I need to demonize high FODMAP foods, um, but uh, I just think that people should be you know, comfortably digesting their food. And I've just found that a lot of, particularly women, again, uh, I also see this a lot in men who are trying to gain weight, they are eating, uh, you know, just pizza, pasta, pancakes, and what have you, is that they end up, they're just bloated all the time, but they don't care. You know, they'll clean out a room and they don't care. They laugh about it. It's funny. But if you've been backstage at a bodybuilding show, uh, women who have been eating egg whites and broccoli, it's pretty miserable you know, to, to go back there and, and, and see what these people are or to experience what they're going through inside at the, you know, at these shows. And that's, that's been a huge thing. They just, they just, their stomach feels flatter. Uh, They just feel better. A lot of times when people are shoveling down tons and tons of, of high gas fibers just to supposedly satiate you, there's a price to pay for that. And, so th- those are probably the primary things that I look at. On the flip side, uh, and we probably get there when we talk about bodybuilding and powerlifting and strongman kind of stuff. I've been concerned about metabolic syndrome, something that I've experienced throughout my career, having been, you know, having uh, gained weight, and gotten up to over three hundred pounds many, many times to be a, a you know, powerlifter, and you know, friends of mine, Mark Bell, who was three hundred and thirty pounds, and the powerlifters I work with now, and the strongman, Hofthor, when he came to me three years ago, he was four hundred and thirty-five pounds. He was. Uh, you know, metabolically unhealthy. We didn't run blood tests and saw that he had elevated blood sugars and had high blood pressure and uh, you know, a little fatty liver and those kinds of things, not only impair performance, but long-term health.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so what I try and do with my diet is, is uh, uh, have those heavier guys. Obviously some of it has to do with the, what I call periodizing their weight the same way they would their training. Uh, I have them drop weight down, but then I, I give them, you know, instead of just looking at calories in total, I try and give them diets that that give them adequate choline so their fatty liver we can get in front of that. And then I can bring their blood sugar down and therefore bring their blood pressure down. Uh, And then when they bulk back up, uh, they're, they're sensitive, nutrient sensitive, and they're partitioning towards muscle more than fat. And I use the kinds of foods that I think make that easier on them uh, to to eat without being all bloated and I, I do pull out pizza pasta and pancakes i i can't load tons and tons of pasta or bread uh, or brown rice or quinoa into an athlete that
1: has to eat 7000 calories a day that's just like concrete in your stomach
3: yeah no no just to interject with that you do that because of the gluten and the grains is that correct
2: well because they could be hard to digest and i yeah. don't think people have celiac everybody yeah. has celiac disease. it's a very small yeah. percentage of the population and and gluten insensitivity is even controversial and the same group out of australia that that did the research on on celiac disease found that when you blinded people to what they were eating uh, that they would report symptoms uh, just kind of based on what they were told they were eating as opposed to what they were actually eating. Mm. And so I'm not, I don't want to demonize grains by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying in large quantities, they could be hard to digest.
1: Of course. Mm. What do you think about dairy and uh, lactose intolerance? <clears throat> do you think that's other um, things that are affecting it or?
2: A whole host of things. I think about that. A lot of people are lactose intolerant and it's individualistic and it's dose dependent. And so maybe you can handle four ounces of milk, but not eight. Mm. Or maybe you could eat yogurt just fine because it, it's a little easier to digest even with lactose in it because of the probiotics and the, the fermentation of it or maybe even then you go to a cheddar cheese so i'm i'm looking at dairy as a calcium source because i think the calcium is important mm-hmm. but we're yeah. seeing in the research and most of the meta-analyses uh, Alan argons posted some great stuff about this that the populations that consume the most dairy have the best bmi and the longest lifespan that uh, we see the tallest people in the world are the dutch in the netherlands uh, who consume the most dairy uh, oh. they're they're number one uh, crop up there is they raise cattle and, and, uh, they sell a ton, a ton of cheese and dairy. We see the highest saturated fat consumers in the world in Switzerland and in, uh, France have the lowest, uh, uh heart disease. They eat a lot of cheese. And so there are some good, and there's many other things, you know, when you talk about these population studies, they're obviously, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty, there's the healthy user bias and, and people who, tend to eat healthier, tend to weigh less and smoke less and drink less and exercise more. So it's, it's hard to tease out the individual things, but um, to go direct to your question, if you have lactose intolerance, don't drink milk. If you have a peanut allergy, don't eat peanuts. If you're allergic to um, you know, shellfish, don't eat shellfish. But that doesn't make it bad for everyone. I'm allergic to vegetable oils and I come out hard against them, but I, I'm looking at the research. I can't say that that it's terrible for everyone Uh, it causes me gastric distress it's my particular uh, food that that when you're dealing with somebody who has a particular food it's my trigger uh, that no matter what i eat it with or on then i you know i i get sick and so obviously i demonize that and as would someone who's lactose intolerant they would say well milk's bad for you and uh we're the only you know human or the only animal that consumes the the milk of another animal right <laughs> they yeah. start making these these nonsensical arguments
1: so for you for a client if they came to you and they had lactose intolerance, you try to you try to make them find something that they can
2: try and steer them towards uh, a yogurt and then if that doesn't work i might steer them for a cheddar cheese and now if that doesn't work then we got to try and find him a, a calcium source that's,
1: right that's yes because adorable. he's uh Hates he is himself. lactose intolerant. But I, I can handle, He's I can't that handle guy. milk, but I can handle uh, yogurt. I yeah, can't handle yogurt. And, there. and the probiotics cheese, are valuable.
2: Yeah. And yeah. you know they're, they're, uh, I think that some of the better nutritionists out there are trying to keep some of that in there. I know the carnivore group doesn't like it. They might want to use bone meal or uh, uh, some calcium supplement. I don't like calcium supplements. Some of the research suggests that, that, uh, that calcium from uh, dairy improves cardiovascular disease and calcium from supplements uh, makes it worse (laughs) so I'm I'm kind of concerned and it's not to say that all supplements are bad but uh, we saw in the Linus Pauling era with his mega dosing of antioxidants that all these vitamin A's and E's made things worse they didn't make them better and that food or vitamins with food the cofactors that are in there make it make it a lot harder to suffer from toxicities than if you were to take the vitamin by itself it's true of iron a host of other supplements so I don't mean to be blathering on in too many directions, but I'm, I'm I'm really kind of tried focused first and foremost in creating a foundation for uh, my athletes that that um, you know give them the nutrients that they need, easily digestible, um, you know, highly bioavailable, and then from there, uh, you know, we can. Uh, I'm I'm not a zealot about. I, I give them a specific list of foods I want them to start with, and then they can introduce you know, other items that, that fit their needs. And I'll just ask them, you know, let's see how you feel. Kind of like a, an elimination slash reenter uh, reintroduction type diet. And that would be similar. I've had clients I put on the carnivore diet, their digestion has been so bad. Uh, and they've reacted to so many things that I'm just telling you, you get steak and egg yolks for the first 30 days to see if we can get the symptoms to subside. And then we'll start reintroducing, which is how an elimination diet works.
1: I think that uh, it's interesting that the vertical diet has become so popular now that and so widespread that it's gotten to the point where people who aren't really doing it almost think they're doing it. Like it's just been people associate certain foods now with doing the vertical Look, diet. Like,
3: oh, I eat beef and rice. I'm freaking vertical, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Like you'll see some guy loading up, you know. And they're not getting any of the other micronutrients the and stuff right, that you preach about. Possibly can. You know, their cart's full of it. And I'm like, oh, man, you're going to be having... 300 grams of fat per meal with what you, yeah. you just loaded in there. You go you know to Waffle people,
3: House, get a glass of orange juice. You're like, oh. it's vertical, vertical. Right? It's vertical, and it's yeah. a 12 ounce glass of orange juice, not yeah. a three
2: ounce yeah. glass. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty cautious about, you know, the recommendations I make. I, 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 I'm not a big believer that fructose is particularly nasty for you. I think sugar in excess of 100 grams can hit the liver pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, 12 grams, you know, is, is not going to have the same kind of impact. And none of this is new. I don't claim to have invented this. I, I, I think it's sensible. I always say it's, it's uh, simple, sensible and sustainable. Vince Garanda was talking about this stuff in the 60s. And what concerns me most is how far we've gotten away from uh, these core foods that are so valuable, particularly for athletes or for, uh, you know, for health. And we've gone through this era where we've demonized so many different things that we've got people suffering from these deficiencies. Vince Karani was talking about steak. He was talking about whole eggs. He he even was talking about sea kelp, you know, I've promoted iodine pretty heavily for the last many years and people have been using sea salts and pink salts. Uh, there's no iodine in those. Now you've got, women uh, who are training for competitions and sweating every day uh, suffering from hypothyroidism because they have no iodine in their diet and so I, I asked you have specifically have an iodine source in your diet where are you getting it from you know if you've taken out egg yolks you've taken out dairy those are you know not rich sources but that some of the sources that uh, you know, that you can get some iodine from mm-hmm. so you have to have a source in there so those things are important and you know, as, as I rolled this out, I also took the time. I, I I take it, you know, I have a, I feel like I have a sense of responsibility, um, uh, to my clients and to the you know general population that, that may not work directly with me to put out good information. You know, we're, we're influencers. We have a large audience and people will listen to us. And so, you know, I've spent my whole life studying this and competing and, and I've, I've tried to put out a good message. My ongoing education has been, uh, you, you know, to, to, Attend lots of other and to watch and attend lots of other professionals in the industry. You know, obviously, I I went to the barbell medicine seminar last year. I think those guys are extraordinary. Um, yeah, they did one at our gym. Yeah, they're fantastic. And Ripito, I'm I'm a member of. Uh, you know, I've been reading um, Greg Knuckles' uh, research for a couple of years now since he put out his his stuff. Obviously, uh, subscribe to Alan Aragon's stuff and read his uh, Eric Trexler with with uh, with uh, Greg Knuckles. Uh, read just about everything that Ellen uh, or that uh, Lane Norton puts out. I bought RP Strength's book and read it. Um, you know, I I took the NSCA's CSCS last year. I'm still learning more now than than probably I know more now certainly than than when I was competing five six years ago. And I took the step extra step of of recruiting a partner a co-author in the Vertical Diet who's a registered dietitian with a PhD in exercise phys who was head of the dietetic department for UNLV and was. Uh, uh, also head of the uh, the, the uh, Southern Nevada uh, Dietetic Association so you know I've worked closely we went through our entire diet and we put 200 references to peer reviewed published literature uh, just to make sure that, that this thing wasn't uh, was was healthy and was safe and was you know effective at the same time again trying to to match both you know the academics the, the book stuff with the application uh, the experience stuff that for myself and for my athletes, and so we think it's it's really solid. Uh, it's occasionally somebody will, who hasn't read it will go through and comment on what they heard about, uh, like we just talked about. My today. favorite
1: one's salt. Can you touch on that briefly? Because Salt's
2: extraordinary. You got to tell the story about the meat. <laughs> the, yeah, the I meat even <laughs> myself. You know, I I went to a powerlifting meet and. Uh, um i woke up in the morning and i was sucking down tons of gatorade which is loaded with sugar and, and very little sodium in comparison um and i ended up cramping really bad at the meat the um i got done with the squat and i was benching and my hands were squeezing the bar so hard my forearms had cramped up that i was actually having to pry my fingers off wow. the bar and in between sets i was having to sit there and rest my hands like this so they wouldn't lock up uh, and then eventually the quads and the hamstrings and so uh, i was going to get my i had my wife to asked her to go get my keys so I could uh, go to the hospital. I thought I was going to go and have to get a saline bag or something to, before I started to to lock up and instead she went and got Mark and Jesse and they brought over tons of nun tablets and just started loading me full of sodium. And I probably had, I don't know, 15 or 20 nun tablets over the next half an hour with water. And eventually my body started to relax and calm down. I was able to finish the bench. I still got 600 uh, that day. And then uh, by the time the deadlift came, I felt like a new man. I mean, the, the, the my warm-up deadlift came off the floor like it was just nothing. Probably stronger than I'd felt in months, because uh, I was training in Sacramento. It was ninety degrees and, and that that year, and I was sweating a lot. And so I just I suffered through. I think a lot of dehydration. Since that time, I was helping Larry Wheels get ready for a show, uh, and uh, he didn't do his refeed. He said he went. You know, when you when you cut water to to make weight, you, you lose a lot of sodium. And instead, he went to. Uh, uh, he went to uh, IHOP to refeed, oh, no. <laughs> and so, sure enough, he gets to the meat and hadn't had enough sodium, and he started the same, same experience, started cramping up, and then uh, somebody came over some uh, to do some massage on his forearms because he was cramping up, and I'm like, oh, that's not going to work, <laughs> so we started loading him up with sodium and did the same thing, and he was able to finish that meet and set a record, mm-hmm. so I scream from the rooftops as often as I can about the importance of sodium for athletes. I work with Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles, and he's a salty sweater. He's a level five sweater. Dr. Godick from the Heat Institute tests the Philadelphia Eagles. They put a patch test on them uh, to look at their sweat rate. Uh, it was something that I had them send to Ben Smith when I was working with him. for the, He was a CrossFit National champion that uh, I worked with, and he had suffered from heat stroke about a month before regionals one year. And so I reached out to to Godick's group. But I think it's important to to say here that that all the information that I put out comes from I, I think it, it comes from somebody, a professional in the field that validates the effectiveness. I always reach out to authorities in the field. And Dr. Godick is probably one of the best known mm-hmm. uh thermal regulation hydration specialists who runs the heat institute. And I read her stuff, and then when I had a question in a serious case like Ben's, I reached out to them. I, I called them, and they gave me a protocol for him. And then they also gave me sweat tests for uh, Brian Shaw um, uh, and for Hofthor so that we could implement these hydration protocols for them. Again, I, I'm not a guru. I didn't invent this stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm really I'm supposed to help my clients. I want to get as much information as I can from the best people that I'm able to have access to. And then, and then give them that information. Hopefully, improve their performance. So, uh, when I talk about these things, I, you know, I'm not pretending like, a, you know, I, I invented it. Uh, I just think it's the best information. My <clears throat> ebook, all of these people are in there. All the names I just mentioned, they're in there with links to their literature, their videos, uh, their articles, uh, and saying if you want to know more about this kind of thing or where I got the information, these are the people. These are the professionals in the field. I kind of facilitate, uh, you know, the information that I learn uh, to my clients, but um, the the sodium thing was huge for us, and that got me to start to to talk about sodium in terms of its benefits. And then, of course, Doctor Dean Nicolantonio's book, The Salt Fix, went took a deep dive into that and uh, went through how important it is. And then you look at people like Doctor Aaron Carroll from Healthcare Triage, who's uh, uh, he's a uh, the dean of research for Indiana, and he's an MD. Uh, and he talks about the fact that the the supposed evidence for sodium restriction is slim to none um, in terms of CHF, or- in terms of, yeah, even even heart patients, even people who are who've had cardiovascular disease restricting sodium below three grams per day can increase their all-cause mortality. And so we came up with some recommendations. They're consistent with that of the ISSN, uh, the International Society of Sports Nutrition, they're consistent with that of the NSCA to salt your food, your meals to taste, consistent with Dr. Godick's recommendations, uh, and then to take 500 milligrams of sodium before and after training. Now, I adjust that accordingly if i got a 400-pound athlete or if somebody's in a humid climate or, a, you know, Camille LeBlanc when she was at CrossFit mm-hmm. uh, at, at the Reebok Championships this year We did a, or last year, we did 1,000 milligrams before and after some of the longer events, and that was the first year that over the course of the five days of events that she gained a pound. She didn't lose weight. And uh, so that was huge for her in terms of her energy and performance. So salt's huge. Uh, those are my recommendations. I put them in the diet, just salt meals to taste. Uh, I prefer to use uh, an iodized salt if people don't have an iodine source, uh, like cranberry juices, which mm-hmm. I would I recommend because it's so rich in iodine. Just three ounces of it is 300% of your daily RDA. Uh, so, you know, that probably of all the things, that I think are life-changing that I get feedback from from athletes and, and clients all over the world is when they start to salt their food again because they've demonized it to the point where they don't put salt on anything right. and if, if you've ever had a client get up from a leg press and complain about being dizzy that's a salt problem and you can fix that in five minutes by having them pop 500 milligrams of sodium which is a quarter teaspoon of salt mm-hmm. uh, before a workout and we recommend it before and after now you see uh, uh, John Meadows uh, talks a lot about um, intra workout hydration, pre, intra and post and sodium's part of that. Mm-hmm. It really helps with recovery, um, uh, obviously stamina endurance for the workout itself, but it delays uh, or it improves delayed onset muscle soreness following workouts. To get that's why they say to take it before before and after. So that's huge. I I I harp on about that, but it's, it's life-changing.
1: Is, is there an amount that's too much? Because I, I like that you made the distinction to salt and to taste because mm-hmm. the personality that some of the, that even powerlifters that I know have, it's like <laughs> all they need to hear is Stan said salt is good. And all of a sudden they're buying yeah. salt by the shipping If container. one is good, 10 yeah. is better.
2: That's yeah. what we, we do. Here's the thing: If you overdose on salt, and for lack of a better way to describe it, you'll piss it out your ass. Your body will, will know, suck yeah. water into your stomach and, and expel it, uh, <laughs> like getting salt water in, in the ocean. Yeah, so, no, more isn't better. And my own training partner did that when, when I told him about salt. Same. He's Like I'm not going to make it to the workout Marcus? today.
3: No, no. I was yeah. Back when I was doing uh, CrossFit, uh, yeah, I was like, hey, I started adding some to my to my intra-workout drink because we would train all day and and we wouldn't eat as much. So I'm trying to get calories through like a liquid means. And, and he's like, he's, he's a funny guy. He's a, he's a French guy. Yeah. And, and he can be a little bit like hardheaded sometimes. Right. So he saw me add a little bit and he thought, Oh, if he's adding a little bit, I'm going to add more and I'm going to get a competitive advantage. And he adds more and like 20 minutes in the workout. He's like, hold on I gotta stop I was like you don't ever stop training like what are you talking about and he runs into the bathroom yeah that's what (laughs) happens so if
2: you're deficient in something and you remedy that deficiency you see a significant improvement in performance Mm -hmm. but if you mega dose there's not many examples where you get additional benefit right and in many cases there's probably a detriment so So, uh, so your tongue will tell you Actually, is what Doctor Godick talks about. That that you'll you'll it's not like sugar. You won't just keep adding more and more and more. Your body will will continue to want what it needs, and then eventually, it will it'll regulate that for you. So interesting. That's that's the goal is to just to get enough so that you're you know you perform uh, better, and it's based generally on its efficiency. Especially for women, uh, they tend to do really well in terms of that lightheadedness.
0: Stan, can we, um, I would love for my mom to listen to this podcast. So this, this question is for her. Can we briefly talk about the correlation between red meat and cardiovascular disease and kind of what's uh, been the most recent research on it?
2: Yeah. And, you know, I'm not the expert on that. I defer to some uh, some people who have done some great work on that. Alan Argon's done a great uh, job on that. Uh, Lane Norton's done a great job on that and debunking the, the Game Changers movie in particular, uh, which uh, I've got vegan <clears throat> clients. I have vegetarian clients and I, I'm, I'm all about eating vegetables so long as you tolerate them. Um, uh, but the problem is when you start demonizing such an important food mm-hmm. as red meat, uh, especially for women because of the iron and the B12. Uh, I think that you do a disservice to people. And that's not to say that you should eat all red meat all day. I think you need a gram of protein per pound of body weight, and it should consist of um, a whole egg, and it should consist of a little bit of dairy. It should consist of some f- uh, fatty fish, like salmon, uh, and it should consist of some red meat. And you can throw some chicken in there, or a piece of pork. Uh, all of that is is fair game. But to, to demonize red meat on the basis of some of this horrific epidemiological research, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of this pouring out of, you know, for the last 40 years out of Harvard in particular, uh, is all epidemiology. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Ioannidis is uh, probably considered the godfather of meta research, has come out over the last few years and written plenty of articles and, and uh, made statements saying that, look, this is garbage research. This epidemiology is complete garbage. The, um, the confidence in uh, levels with some of this, this, uh, this correlation to heart disease, is so small and it's absolutely affected by that healthy user bias again. People who tend to eat more red meat also tend to smoke more, drink more, weigh more and exercise less. Mm -hmm. And people who tend to eat more vegetables tend to be more health conscious people that weigh less, smoke less, drink less and exercise more. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've done plenty of research where they've gone into uh, say whole foods and they've taken groups of people who are generally health conscious people. They're in whole foods, they're generally health conscious. And they divided them by those who ate primarily vegetables and those who ate more meat. And they found they had equivalent health outcomes and i think the most recent study um what was it the nhanes uh, uh i might be naming it wrong there's so much spinning around in my head but it, it was the most recent study that came out where they suggested that that you shouldn't adjust your your meat intake because uh, the these correlations these epidemiology studies uh, didn't have a high confidence interval for uh, <laughs> adverse health outcomes mm-hmm. so uh, you see a lot of people coming out now you've got the carnivore diet with uh, uh, Paul Saladino and um, dr. Sean Baker um, and I'm not advocating for a carnivore diet but I'm also not seeing where uh, they're wrong in in making the recommendations that may, they make particularly for people who may have autoimmune disorders or uh, we talked earlier about elimination diets for people with severe Uh, gastrointestinal disorders or IBS or IBD. They've seen a lot of, you know, success with that. Uh, So uh, I just, I don't, I don't think it's anything for anybody to worry about. And, uh, you know, to take that one step further, even the difference between say grass finished and grain finished beef people, I I think, I think it was even Rob Wolf who who did the paleo solution in his second book said that that was probably the biggest mistake he made was demonizing grain finished. They're all, Weaned on their mother's milk, fed grass throughout the majority of their life. Some are grain finished and some are grass finished. Mm-hmm. And the major difference between the two is their omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. But there's such a small content that that's not where you'd go that's for your mass. Yeah. You'd go to you get a piece of salmon as 200 times the amount of EPA and DHA than beef. It's just certain places that you look for certain things. Do you, you, know, did you think it's things.
1: important to vary your protein sources? Like will you tell I people do. to mostly eat? red meat or do you want them having salmon and chicken and other things? Sometimes? I want
2: all of them. I want the EPA and DHA. I want, you know, two grams a day. You can get that from two, five ounce servings of salmon a week. Uh, I definitely want the, the calcium, the benefits from dairy. Uh, I also really like the research on dairy, particularly for athletes. I love seeing what it does for, for adolescents. I, when you look at the Dutch studies, uh, I like seeing what it does for, for calcium, uh, and, and body composition. So I do like to get some dairy in there if it's tolerable, if you have to go to a yogurt or a cheddar cheese. Uh, I, I think some variety is good because they have different vitamins, the eggs in particular. I think the egg yolk is extraordinary that it should be kept in there. They've done research. They've taken two groups of men that were, that were weightlifting, hypertrophy. This is men over 50 in this particular study. And they equated for protein between the egg white consumers and whole egg consumers. And they found that the whole egg consumers, now they were, remember they were eating equivalent amounts of protein mm-hmm. and they were both hypertrophy training. Uh, or strength training, uh, or a combination of the two, the group that ate the whole eggs had uh, measurable improvement in hypertrophy and significantly better strength outcomes than the group that ate the egg whites. Wow. And they ate the same amount of protein. That's interesting. And the conclusion was, or at least the, the authors of the study uh, concluded, that the micronutrients mattered as we kind of started out this conversation. They, ma- they matter. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why I don't lead with supplements that say protein powders, proteins, important macros are important, but I don't lead with that because they're devoid of micronutrients. Uh, I lead with whole foods, eating whole foods first. So yeah, I do. I do like a variety. I, I wouldn't just push red meat all day long. Although as elimination diets go, if, if you are really concerned about your digestive health or you have autoimmune disorders that are, you know, for many people can be very debilitating. You have to start with something. Mm -hmm. And the most nutrient dense food is going to be like a ribeye steak or a New York steak. That's what you can start with. If you tried to eliminate (coughs) anything, anything else, if you eliminated that and tried to eat any other single food, kale, Acai berry, you know, when what, what, you name a food, celery shakes, name a food that everybody thinks is a superfood and you would die in a week trying to consume that. Uh, whereas with meat, uh, you can get, you know, as much of everything that you need. Um, I certainly wouldn't recommend that for the long term, although many people thrive on that, just uh, meat and eggs. But uh, I'm just saying in terms of nutrient density, that's that's for me, that's a place to start and it's a it's a what they call a low residue food and so it's uh, you know if you're going to go in and get a colonoscopy the doctor tells you not to eat high residue foods because he you know uh, so <clears throat> red meat's one of those that's digested almost entirely before it gets through the small intestine you know, i was i think joe rogan recently talked about how he had diarrhea for the first two weeks uh, doing the, the carnivore, <laughs> the, the carnivore yeah, diet yeah. because he had an imbalance of water in the large intestine sure. his body was used to having more roughage and then it, it, uh, after a while it it balanced itself out after a couple of weeks and he was, he was normal, but then he experienced a lot less bloating. He was kind of called out. I think I saw a video where somebody called out Joe for having distension and they were, they were uh, trying to surmise that that was from growth hormone usage Mm -hmm. and whether or not he's using GH is irrelevant. But if you're eating a bunch of foods that cause, um, you know, your, your intestines to expand and bloat. Then that's certainly you know gonna gonna cause that problem. Mm-hmm. And as as he turns, it turns out, after the month on you know the carnivore diet, his stomach was a lot flatter. And that's what I've experienced with my clients who use the low FODMAP diet, is that they don't have all the gas and bloating mm-hmm. and they just feel better.
1: The, uh, so like f- all of us here, we were pretty familiar with the vertical diet, but for our listeners, let's say you had a, a 200 pounds male that his goal is to get bigger and stronger, whatever yeah. it may be. What does a day of vertical eating? typically without getting too specific look like for yeah. someone like that.
2: If it's hard for them to consume, again, we set up a, a hierarchy, right? What's the most important thing he eats in a calorie surplus calories are king. He's got to <laughs> eat in a surplus. What if he's having a hard time eating in a surplus, which is what I run into with some of my big athletes. Is that right. just eating enough is the, is the primary problem it's, to solve. Extremely hard. For it's me. hard. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. very hard. Well, plus the fact that once you eat in a surplus with just like women and men who are dieting experience metabolic adaptation, their their metabolism slows a bit uh, from from calorie deficits. People who eat in calorie surpluses will experience metabolic adaptation in the other direction. You might eat 500 extra calories and find you're not gaining weight, but because your BMR increased and you're burning the calories. So now you have to eat another 300 or 400 on top of that just to gain weight. So after calories, I look at the macro content and uh, protein in particular, highly satiating, high thermic effect of food, you get fewer net calories out of protein. For every 100 calories you eat, you might only net out 70. Not good for a guy who's trying to gain weight. And back when I was in college, in my early 20s, I used to think that the more protein I ate, the more mass I would build. Turns out just the opposite happened. I tried to suck down two grams of protein per pound of body weight and it just cranked on my hamster wheel so fast that I couldn't gain weight. But I was hot all the time. You know, I couldn't wear covers at night and I had to roll down the window in the middle of winter when I was driving down the the street in the car. Uh, That's what happens and so now we've seen this in protein overfeeding studies uh, by uh, um, Dr. Jose Antonio from the ISSN It's it's really hard to eat too much protein and it's really hard to gain weight when you are eating more protein They do these overfeeding studies where they I think they increased 800 calories And they used the three different macronutrients and those who ate 800 calories more of protein didn't gain weight Those who ate 800 calories more of fat and carbs did so (laughs) I bring protein down as a result. I'll come bring it down to 0.8 grams per pound. And it sounds counterintuitive for a guy who's trying to gain muscle, but it actually works uh, for a number of reasons because it gives them the appetite to eat it in a surplus. Plus the carbohydrates are protein sparing. And so, uh, and they'll protect muscle tissue breakdown. Everybody talks about muscle protein synthesis as a priority, but muscle protein breakdown is something to, to focus on as well. And if you have less catabolism, obviously you, have more room for uh, anabolism. So that's how I start out with calories and macros. And then I, I then I dive into the actual types of foods and the easiest foods to eat uh, are gonna be those low FODMAP foods. And so rather than using say, there's, there's foods that are high satiety. This is another thing that I utilize with dieters. I give them high satiety foods, a potato, uh, an orange. Those are on the top of the list in terms of the satiety index for how long a certain food will keep them full or, or feeling full. So I won't put those foods in there. I'll use a low satiety food. So I use a little bit of orange juice. Increases their body temperature and their metabolism, just like three ounces with each meal. So part of my improving your appetite method I have in the diet. I I put, I think, 14 tips. I did a video on it as well on, on how to improve your appetite. And I talk about how certain foods will make you hungrier more often. You can eat more of them. So I get their protein sources in. Uh, again, I'm I'm primarily using a, a lean red meat. Uh, I don't like to go too high in fats for people who are trying to gain mass because I want to fuel that workload with carbohydrates. So they might still only take in point three point four grams of fats. So those are usually in your meat, in your egg, in your dairy. They're already there, so you don't have to add any. And now we're to carbohydrates. Um, and the carbs I'll choose would uh, be a little bit of orange juice. You get a little bit of lactose from the yogurt. And now we're white rice. I can't put again, pizza, pasta, pancakes in these people. I can't put high FODMAP foods, brown rice, um, quinoa, stuff like that. It has to be easily digestible. And a couple of tricks that I use is is with the white rice is I'll have them sprinkle a little bit of dextrose on the white rice. Delicious. Oh, it's it's (laughs) phenomenal. (laughs) And it's not really to drive calories. It's mostly to improve appetite. Plus what we found is, is that some people have a hard time digesting starches. They don't get as much amylase production out of the pancreas. And so when you put a little dextrose on the rice, Not only do you get more amylase production in the mouth and more more saliva, so it makes it easier to eat. You can start funneling down tons and tons of rice because the little bit of dextrose just makes it more moist. But now you're getting more pancreatic release of amylase as well. And so it's digesting better in the stomach so you get less bloating. So they can eat more of it more often. So I'm using it for that purpose, not necessarily for its caloric content.
1: As you're, um, as you're learning a lot more, have you changed the vertical diet at all since the base? Like, are you coming out with like a 2.0 or anything? I
2: did. Matter of fact, we're already on the 3.0 version. So originally oh, I yeah. came out three years ago with the vertical diet and then I did the vertical diet 2.0 and now I'm on the vertical diet 3.0. One of the neat things about doing a username and password access diet is that I can update it ongoing. Mm-hmm. And all of my clients who had previously bought any of the other versions, they get the updates for free. And then as I learned things, I talked about a collaboration between clients. You know, every client that you have, you, you've learned something yeah. from them, uh, especially these these great athletes that, that you, you get the chance to, to talk to. And uh, I learned as, as much from them as they did from me throughout this process over the years. So I'll add it. If somebody asks me a question, I don't have the answer. Or if it's not in the vertical diet, I'll add mm-hmm. it to the vertical diet. So the next time they log in, it's there. Um, so we've, we've put a lot of things in there, uh, food lists and shopping, grocery shopping lists and links to... Certain things I recommend, such as the CPAP, or um, on Amazon, the thermos was all a great. Yeah, it was a great uh, uh, tool that we used so people can have hot meals and and be prepared. So all of those things go in there.
1: I think a lot more people need CPAPs than are than are using them.
2: I think so, I and think it's really right. hard overseas because when you have socialized medicine, my clients come to me from Canada or from Australia or from Europe. Uh, it takes a long time to get in to be seen, and then if you don't have severe sleep apnea, then they're just telling you to lose weight. Well, my bodybuilders, powerlifters and strongmen don't want to lose weight. And, and the problem is, is that the, the, it's not just that you're tired, you know, your low oxygen levels are going to impair recovery, but also blood pressure is huge. There can be a 20 point increase. This is one of the biggest things that Hofthor realized immediately when he started using a CPAP and Lane Johnson from the Eagles he started using a CPAP and his uh, systolic blood pressure dropped like 14 points. Mm. Wow. Same. Now, if if you're salt sensitive, if you're hypertensive, and there are people out there, and you asked about, I think earlier about how much sodium, I think Mm. it was, was, I don't think I wrapped up the, the tail end of that conversation. There's a small percentage of the population that's hypertensive, they're salt sensitive, and they've got high blood pressure. And if they take in too much sodium, they can realize an increase in systolic blood pressure. Well, that's been measured in many studies to be between two and five millimeters. Now I just said that that uh, CPAP could could bring your systolic blood pressure down by 20 millimeters, so what's a more significant intervention? Mm-hmm. The same thing's true with with thyroid function. Women who have been studied who are hypothyroid as compared to normal thyroid can have a 20 point difference in systolic blood pressure, so that's a much more important intervention than say sodium restriction, which can be um, adversely affect them, right. and it's only going to raise blood pressure in those who are hypertensive. Now, of those hypertensives, if you get adequate potassium, 4,700 milligrams a day, uh, that increase in systolic blood pressure goes away. So I think the range is between about three to six grams, over six grams a day of sodium, which is about 14 grams of salt, mind you, it's sodium chloride. So it's it's 40% sodium, 60% chloride. So when I say sodium, between three and six grams, I'm saying salt between well, with about seven and 14 grams, uh, is, is considered to be a safe range. And this was from the peer study, this is a Dr. Yusuf, Youssef, from, uh, who's a, a cardiologist, head of the World Heart Federation out of Canada, has done significant research in, in the, the most recent, largest trial, uh, epidemiology trial that's ever been done. Uh, beyond six grams, only hypertensive have an adverse response to sodium, and then they can be remedied with some potassium intervention. But I'm not recommending that uh, a a sedentary, elderly, hypertensive individual eat cans of Pringles or salt their food. You know, I'm talking about athletes here. That's generally who I'm, uh, but not just athletes, even your soccer mom who's suffering from from lightheadedness and dizziness because she's over-restricted salt and may even have some thyroid issues because along with salt comes iodine in many cases because the CDC put it in our, our table salt, you know, in the 20s. So uh, all of that I think is huge. You see, I'm, I'm so passionate. I want to try I and get it all it. out there because yeah, no, I it. I, it's never any one thing. You know, we've talked about a, at least a half a dozen or, or more different things that I think uh, it's an orchestra and I, uh, you have to put them all together to get, you know, to get the great benefits from it.
1: There's one other thing I wanted to touch on. I don't know how much time we have. I want to be conscious of your time as well, Sure, but um, you personally have experience competing at, the highest level in both bodybuilding and powerlifting and you work with both performance athletes uh and uh you know professional dieters as Mm -hmm. as you were saying earlier uh how do you change the plan between those two or is there much difference at all in the way you get them to eat
2: i've said this and you know i've I've put hofthor Bjornsson uh next to uh you know a hundred pound uh, tiny tiff, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got 450-pound and next to 103-pound tiny tiff. They're on the same diet. Uh, I work with the professional ballet dancer from the Sacramento Ballet Company. She's on the same diet. In terms of the foundation, those are those micronutrient-dense foods that are easy to consume, highly bioavailable, low FODMAP, uh, you know, a whole egg, a little bit of red meat, a little bit of dairy, an iodine source. Uh, low gas vegetables, you know, spinach and squash and those kinds of things, a piece of salmon a week, you know, it's really fundamental. It's about the same. And then I drive calories. Like we discussed with the the weight gain uh, recommendation Mm -hmm. based on workload, even a CrossFitter who's training twice a day is going to demand significantly more calories than your dad bod. They're going to have the same foundation, but I'm driving those calories. Generally speaking, that's when the white rice comes in simply to fuel workload, a very efficient, source of energy to fuel training so that's kind of the only difference and even when i'm dieting people unless they've got insulin resistance and an appetite problem mm-hmm. I keep carbs in because all of my dieters I want them to, to work out I want them to lift weights as a priority over cardiovascular training and those people who are familiar with my diet I don't I don't implement cardio per se I do three 10 minute walks a day Mm-hmm. I do it with Nadia White, who's competing on the Olympia that stage,
1: blew, blew up too. Hafthor Bjornsson, is
2: yeah, yeah. doing ten minute walks religiously. He just shot a video the other day. He's at the Hilton and he ate, and the first thing that he did is he went and took a ten minute walk, and that's what's really improved his insulin sensitivity. You got a 445 pound guy now, yeah. who's and I, you know, I say this all the time, his fasted glucose was 83. And those who are familiar with that number knows that, that anything under 100 is, is considered healthy. 83 is extraordinary, particularly for a guy that's that big. His HA1C is 5.3. 5.7 and above is pre-diabetic, and I think above 6.4 is diabetic. Uh, and his insulin is less than 6. Insulin range is usually, I think it's like 3 to 24. Uh, it should be less than 6. Otherwise, that's, that's kind of the canary in the coal mine. And once your insulin starts climbing... Uh, then you're looking at high triglycerides and potentially you know cardiovascular problems. So his you know and I look at blood sugars primarily because they're, they're significant for appetite for weight loss people. I have obese clients that have insulin that's 17, 19, 20. Those people, you're going to have a hard time controlling their appetite. Uh, and a lot of this comes from experience. Like you said, I've, I've been over 300 pounds and I've been down to 4% body fat on a bodybuilding stage. I know what it's like to lose a, a ton of mass and strength dieting on, on restrictive egg whites and chicken breast and doing two hours of cardio day. I've done that many times throughout my career. I know what it's like to get metabolic syndrome from bulking up to over 300 pounds doing go mad and and pizza pasta pancakes every night uh, before bed. Uh, I know what that's like. And I had blood tests throughout my career on a monthly basis, over 150 blood tests for at least the last 12 or 14 years. And so I saw what that did to my blood sugars, to my blood pressure, uh, to my kidney and liver enzymes. I watched that happen real time. And then I kept trying to implement things over the years, working with numerous doctors at times to see how I could fix that. Because the healthier I was, the better I performed. Mm-hmm. At times when I was over three hundred pounds and I was, uh, well, I was a little bit unhealthy. I wasn't even as strong as I was at two seventy-two. I was stronger, thirty pounds lighter, but I was you know, me- metabolically I was healthier. So I watch all of those things, and that's kind of why I make the recommendations I make because I, I see what's going on on the inside. It's mm-hmm. kind of where we started in this conversation: is you see a bikini girl on stage, that doesn't tell the story. Mm-hmm. I work with uh, Stephanie Sanzo, uh, Steph Fit from Australia. Mm-hmm extraordinary athlete, and I've got a before and after picture of her where we where we were training or working together. And you don't see too much difference. You know, discerning eye can see that, that she got a little harder, but she's always been in fantastic shape. But what people don't see is that she used to eat under 1,200 calories a day. She used to do two 40-minute cardio sessions a day. She had intermittent water retention issues, and she would have to use some over-the-counter diuretics every now and then just to appear at an expo. Um, you know, brain fog, uh, fatigue, Um, you know, low thyroid, all those problems, B12 deficiency. And then after working together for a short period of time, all of a sudden she's eaten 1800 calories. She's got carbs back in her diet. She's taken three 10 minute walks and uh, she's got more energy and uh, she feels better, her skin's better, uh, more strength. So all of those things happen just as a result of of changing the types of foods that she eats and, and, um, you know, letting her sleep and not over cardioing her, which can have really significant adverse effects on uh, the amount of muscle mass you retain uh, and your energy levels and fatigue, obviously.
1: You uh, you touched on it in a couple of different ways uh, about one earlier. You said just fixing things you have deficiencies in can obviously create immediate improvements uh, in performance and how you feel. Uh, and then you also just touched on how you had a lot of blood tests over the course of your career. Do yeah. you I think that's something that's overkill for Gen Pop or or for just you know weekend warrior type people. Or is that something everyone should be doing?
2: You know, I disagree with, uh, and I've learned a lot from a lot of people, and I don't agree with everything all of them say, but I've learned a lot. Uh, the folks at Barbell Medicine, Austin Brocky and Jordan Fagenbaum, uh, I think are, are some of the leading guys in terms of, of, uh, of the medical portion of this when it comes to blood tests. They don't recommend blood tests. Uh, they think that, that people, uh, that it might just be unnecessary or overkill. It's like in some cases with, you know, as Steffi knows, you don't want to define people by certain ailments, you know, if they go get an MRI all of a sudden, and it shows some sort of, um, you know, spinal abnormality, then they'll define themselves as that. And they might become kinesophobic and, Mm -hmm. and start avoiding certain exercises, et cetera, as a result. Mm -hmm. Same thing with blood tests. You're worried about no SIBOing people, you know. Um, but I tend to disagree in that I do deal with a lot of athletes and a lot of athletes who use performance enhancing drugs. And under those circumstances in particular, I think it's important that they get a blood test to, to look at those kinds of things. I want to see their liver, and I want to see their kidneys, and I want to see their blood pressure and all of those things. But even in the normal population, here's where I recommend it. If you implement a, a program, um, and I should say this, that almost irrespective of what the blood test says, you're going to implement a lot of the same things anyhow. Hey, improve your sleep, Mm -hmm. uh, take a few walks, improve your diet, you know, lift some weights. You're going to make many of the same recommendations. If I get an athlete, and I say this to trainers uh, in particular, if you've worked with a client for 30 to 60 days and they haven't gotten the results they want, and they're paying you money and they're in the gym busting their ass uh, and they're not seeing, you know, weight loss results, or if they're not gaining lean muscle mass, like if it's a man and, they, and they're lifting weights and they're not getting any stronger after 60 days, they might be hypogonadal, which is a bigger problem than just gaining muscle. We know that it increases all cause of mortality, erectile dysfunction, depression, all those fatigue, all those kinds of things, body composition. That would be a good time as a trainer uh, to recommend that uh, that they go in and get a blood test and see if they are hypogonadal. Uh, again, the biggest causes are are sleep apnea, uh, low thyroid, uh, those, those are huge causes for, you know, I see this with firemen in their twenties that come to me with the testosterone of 150. they don't sleep very well. And that's the biggest problem. And with a woman, if you've gone through 30 or 60 days of, of training a woman and she's paying you money and she's coming to the gym and she's sweating and she's working hard. And we know that 99% of the time it's, they're overeating. We know that mm-hmm. without, passing blame or judging anyone, but we just we know that generally speaking, they're over consuming calories and that's certainly a great place to start. But if after 60 days they haven't experienced the results, haven't lost the weight, still have fatigue and tired, then I think they should get a blood test, find out if they're hypothyroid and maybe they might need supplementation for
3: it's, that. It's just another thing you can kind of check off and say it's not that and put the accountability back on someone. Yeah. Because a lot of people like to make it, they, they use, you know well i've i got told once upon a time i had low thyroid so that's why i can't yeah. do x y or z
2: well and and here's another thing too people will may use hypothyroidism as an excuse the difference in your metabolism might only it's be 100 on is negligible might only be 100 calories a day you look at the the stuff that dr nadalski yeah. from rp strength <laughs> will, will put out often to say look that may very well be true but mm-hmm. it's probably not you know moving the needle as much as you think that if 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 you want to apply occam's razor the, the the chances are that we're over consuming calories because we're terrible at estimating it. and that's why I, I promote on such a big level that, that you weigh food or that you you use meal prep uh that's what the bodybuilding figure physique bikini industry does extraordinarily yeah. well they walk around with tupperwares with pre-weighed stuff and I know there's this big fraction in the in the dieting community between people who who recommend calorie counting and weighing, and people who say, you know, just eat steak and eggs, and and you'll not have to weigh your food. You know, even my good friend Mark Bell is is like, you know, I don't you don't have to track calories, uh, and that might work, you know, for some people some of the time, but uh, you know it. it I, I, I think they call it intuitive eating. And I always say, you know, if you have somebody that comes to your gym or your CrossFit box and they've never trained before, you don't tell them to go over there and intuitively train. <laughs> you know, I think there's re- a learning curve.
0: Exactly. It requires uh, experience. It requires years of tracking for you to be able to not track and yeah. Yeah. know yeah. how much well, you Kind well, of consume. Right?
1: Right? As a society, your intuition sucks. That's why there's an obesity epidemic. Oh,
2: we underestimate calories by over 50 percent, as yeah. do restaurants. Registered dietitians underestimate calories by 20 to 30 mm-hmm. percent. Labels are off by 20 to 30 percent. It's really hard to trust. Yeah. So you've, you've, you find there are some practices that work. Obviously, meal prep works. Um, and then in terms of appetite, it seems that, that when you eat the same thing consistently, people tend to eat less. This is the research from the Weight Control Registry. Uh, those people tend to eat less. It, in terms of ad libitum, people eating just according to the way they feel, there's, there are a few things that works. Intermittent fasting tends to decrease the amount of the hunger. Uh, decreasing carbs tends to decrease hunger. That's why those some of those diets can be effective for that reason, not because they're magic for any other reason. People tend to eat a little less just because they they tend to be less hungry. Sleeping more tends to decrease hunger because you're not awake as many hours, and there's less ghrelin being released, which stimulates hunger. So there's a host of different things that I, I like to toss in there as tools that people can use. But I don't presume to think that any of them, uh, including the vertical diet is the only path to the destination. I've said there's many paths to the same destination, and you have to find out what works for your clients, because ultimately, compliance is the science, and mm-hmm. the best diets the one that they'll
3: follow. I, I think uh, I wanted to touch on something real quick. I think one of the things, like I'm, I'm really big on big picture takeaways and ways that our listeners can kind of translate the main message of what we're saying. And I think one of the big misconceptions in the fitness community, athlete community as a whole, is this idea that they're different from everybody else and that, oh, you know, we don't have to do the same things that normal people do. We're doing this different goal or this different practice. So we're kind of an outlier. And I think that's a big misconception because it doesn't matter who you are as far as an athlete or, or a lifter or whatever you're doing what you need as a human being, as far as nutrients go, stays the same. You still need all of these certain nutrients in your diet in order for your body to function optimally. Even more.
2: You're an athlete. We find that athletes, uh, as a percentage, have a higher deficiency, higher percentage of athletes Mm. are deficient in iodine, uh, magnesium, things they sweat out, sodium, Mm -hmm. and they need even more. You look, it's kind of an inverse U-shaped curve, sedentary people in terms of their exposure to uh to illness you know they have a greater exposure to illness than active people athletes have a greater exposure to illness than sedentary people because they're putting themselves in a deficiency position they're Mm -hmm. they're stressing their body to the Mm -hmm. point where if they don't get you know, if they don't repair that and rest well enough, then they're going to be subject to, to those kinds of uh, problems. Just the common cold and things like that.
3: The, the more you use your body needs of those nutrients increase need for calories potentially yeah. increase, but that doesn't mean that you're exempt from eating, you know, vegetables. It doesn't mean you're exempt from eating this or eating that. Like yeah, those, still... those
0: extra calories are an opportunity for you to put stuff in your yeah. body. That's going to benefit and, you.
3: And that, and that, being an athlete and achieving a high level performance doesn't mean you need to venture away from health. Health is always the foundation with which you are able to achieve that peak level of performance. Because if you do not have that foundation of health, then it's not gonna be very long before you get sidelined for some type of digestive issue, some type of fatigue issue, your performance comes to a standstill. It, it's You should still be chasing health in terms of how you feel what your lab values look like um you know sleep uh your the the variation in your diet you should still be chasing all those things if you're trying to get extremely strong or if you're trying to get an extreme level of endurance or whatever your goal is that doesn't exempt you from from trying to be a healthy person and yeah. 99 percent, 100 percent of the time trying to be a healthy person and chase normalcy in those values and and in your lifestyle is going to promote a higher level of performance yeah
2: i found that practitioners sometimes are the worst uh you, you heard of nurses syndrome where they they get into uh, nursing school and they think they have every malady right and, oh i've got yeah. cancer i got they read the <laughs> symptoms and all of a sudden they've got everything and they want to get tested and, and i'm that way i'm a hypochondriac i've had you know sonogram on my organs and i've had uh, uh, cac uh, coronary artery calcification and, uh, you name it, all the blood tests, every test you can imagine, I've had MRI on my hips and knees and, and what have you. And I've been told, you know, you need hip replacement surgery. And all I needed was a couple of months with a good practitioner, Mark Philippi, to bring me back to, to to health without getting cut on. But uh, I've worked with some registered dietitians who are high level competitors who are some of the most restrictive people out there and can't figure out why they're so weak and tired. And it's because they've like we started the conversation, they start demonizing certain foods. Mm. They won't eat red meat. They won't eat dairy. They won't eat fruit. They won't salt their food. And that's a recipe for disaster. If if you want to look at what I think, you know, the, the fundamentals are for any athlete, I think all of those things are hugely important.
0: Well, I think you've done a phenomenal job at dissecting the evidence and the research and presenting it in a way that's easier to understand and easy to follow. I think it's amazing. I hope that our listeners, some people that weren't familiar with you and, and the Vertical Diet were able to take home those key important messages and and apply it, even if it challenges what their current beliefs are, because I think that's the most difficult part about what we do, right, is that we're challenging what mainstream belief is. And some people might not like that. It's, it's difficult for people to change the way that they think.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean you're telling me I, I should be eating something, something nutrient-dense and not Pop-Tarts to fill my macros? <laughs> well, and
2: that's why the the links and the literature and the references that we all discussed are in there. I want them to have an opportunity to take a deeper dive and to access, you know, where did you get this information? Obviously, I, I applied it and I feel successfully so for myself as an athlete and for my athletes, but that's not to say that's the only way, but at least they could see it. And then I've got a, uh, I did a seminar in Iceland. I mentioned just Google Iceland Stan efforting. I suppose it's the completest seminar or something like that. It's it's got over 4 million views it, it goes through the whole thing step by step you don't have to buy my ebook i'm i give out a lot of free information it's just that mm-hmm. you know i've compiled it so i could give to my clients and then people who want a really simple step by step with all of the, uh, of the references it's in there you
0: know? if if they wanted to hire you as a coach where can they find you
2: everything's at stan efforting just go to stan my online training's on there my meal prep company i've got the vertical diet meal prep where we prepare these low fodmap meals with no vegetable oils and, ship them nationwide and um, my, um, uh, uh, ebook is on there. Everything's at Stan And I've got a whole lot of, uh, my rhinos rants. I, I poured a lot into those. I spent a lot of time researching and writing them and, and recording them so that people could hear a lot of this stuff that I, I talk about for free. And that's on at, uh, my YouTube channel at Stan efforting. And then my Instagram's uh, at Stan efforting. So it's easy to find. Awesome.
0: awesome. It was a pleasure having you and an honor to sit down and talk to you. Thanks. You Thank, guys. You for your Appreciate time. It. Thank
1: you. Thank you.